Okay, welcome everyone to our fourth instalment of Conversation in Conversation with Changing Teams. Uh, we've got a very eminent panel of which I'm going to go around and ask them to all introduce each other. We'll, uh, we'll try and keep this to, Neil, to a, a minute um, of who you are and, and why you're here. And we'll start off with, um, with Nia. Hey, great. Thanks, Brendan. Um, my name is Nia and I'm a PhD student at Bang University School of Ocean Sciences. Um, and my research mainly focuses on microplastic and modelling kind of the movement of microplastic and how it moves and what processes affect that movement, where it's come from, where it's going and that kind of thing. Um, I also kind of love to talk about plastic and um, how we can kind of reduce our impact on the environment in general and kind of communicate that. And yeah, super happy to be here among everyone today and excited to see what our conversation is going to be. Fantastic. Um, Susie? Hi, I'm Susie Crick from Australia. I live on the south coast, about an hour south of Sydney. And uh, for 32 years, I worked for the airlines. So I saw firsthand the impact that plastic was having on a lot of oceans all around the world. And whilst I'm not a scientist, seeing so much plastic on the beaches really forced me to use my voice and speak out for um, nature. So thank you. I'm really glad to be on this wonderful panel. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. Thank you, Susie. And you're more than welcome. Uh, Philip. Yeah, hi, folks. Hi, Brandon. Thank you very much. I can be here. I'm from Switzerland. I'm a human being, first of all. I'm a father. I'm a scuba diver. I'm a scuba dive instructor. And back in 1992, I learned to dive in Australia. And in the meantime, I saw all the chains in the sea, in the rivers, in lakes. And like the early days, like you had a bit problem with the drinks from the six packs. And today is so much trash, plastics floating around. So I try to explain people how to avoid it. And also like in Switzerland, we produce a lot of trash as well. Like not only the sea, it's also a problem of all rivers, all lakes. So yeah, thank you. Excellent, thank you. And thank you very much, Natalie, for joining us. I know that uh, you haven't been feeling too good the last few days, so we really appreciate you taking the time. Um, so over to you, to, and you can keep it very, very brief. Thank you, and I'll try not to cough on any of you um, remotely. Uh, so yeah, I'm Natalie Fay. I'm the founder of City to Sea, and it's great to be here today and great to meet some of you as well. Um, and so City to Sea is a not-for-profit organisation based in the UK, but our campaigns reach around the world. We've been going since about 2015 now. And we've focused really on stopping plastic pollution at source by running behaviour change campaigns, grassroots um, volunteer-led campaigns like Refill, which also has an app. So we have the, the tech element of that as well, right the way up to government lobbying and petitions on supermarkets. And over the years, we've seen some big, um, big wins like our Switch the Stick campaign that got all of the supermarkets to stop making cotton buds out of plastic. Obviously, <clears throat> it's taken four years to government to legislate. I'm going to stop now because I'm going to cough. Right, okay, but I do want to um, ask you before we do move on is how um, do we get hold of the app? So what would we search for in the app store? And you can, you can, you can type it in the Q&A if you wanted to, or you could you can say. Yeah, that's, um, that's refill. So it's just, you just literally look for refill in the refill. app store. And we've had over 370 downloads of that um, and over a quarter of a million places listed that you can refill and find zero waste shops as well as where to fill your water bottle. Fantastic. Um, Leo. So hello, good afternoon, everyone. So my name is Leo Aspden, so uh, with Changing Stream. So my background is uh, very much in marketing, business strategy and coaching and development in more recent years. So I'm very much focused on uh, working with companies in the construction sector. And as part of that, as you might well imagine, there are many building materials manufacturers that obviously include plastic in that uh, in that portfolio. So um, I'm also very much involved with the events program for Changing Streams. We're also running an educational program, which will go into schools. We're also developing that further within industry. So we will be educating um, in, in terms of more efficient 
new build of houses, but also in terms of retro retrofit and maintenance as well. So that's that's my background. Exciting times ahead. Thank you, Leo. Neil. Hi all. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us and welcome to the audience watching. I'm Neil Maxwell. I've had 32 years uh, history in the construction sector in fit out and office refurbishment. Um, went on an expedition in 2018 to the Arctic, came face to face with the destruction humans are causing to this beautiful planet we call home and came home and thinking I had to do something about it. Therefore, connected with the University of Liverpool, Changing Stream was uh, spawned from the, that initial conversation. And we're focused on reducing the amount of plastic that we use and rely on within the construction sector because it's the second largest user of plastic after the packaging center uh, sector. We're basically looking for best outcomes. We're, we're, we're doing research and consultation. We act as a bridge between academia and industry, and we're working to bridge that gap between industry who want to work with the innovation and become greener companies and satisfy their CSR and ESG requirements, matching that to research and consultation with the university. Our principal partner is University of Liverpool, but we do work with other universities and HEIs around the world. Thank you. Excellent, Neil. And I'm Brendan Kenny, so I'm going to be the host for today uh, and ask a few questions. Um, I'm sort of uh, one of the uh, contributors to plastic waste in the past. I pioneered um, pre-packed product in the fixings industry and put millions and millions and millions of, of heavy gauge plastic bags into the environment. So this is my penance is to uh, change uh, as much as I can to give back uh, from being, I, we didn't know what we didn't know many years ago, but now we do, then we have a, a duty to, uh, to change, hence changing streams. So the first um, discussion is the impact of plastics uh, on our oceans marine life um, and how does it impact on us and our human health and I want to go around uh, the the audience um, sorry the panelists and uh, give your perspectives on, on what you see from how you work and and, and how we could potentially change uh, and make little changes and suggestions in that and we'll start with Nia because you're our brightest you're, you're our future <laughs> very kind uh, uh too kind but yeah so in terms of the impacts of plastic and you know plastic is such kind of a wide-ranging umbrella term really um i think eventually it will kind of break up into smaller terms you know we'll be we said there's nanoplastic microplastic macroplastic we'll be looking into specific effects of polystyrene, specific um, effects of kind of polyethylene fibres in our clothes. Um, and so I think kind of it really does depend on what you're looking at when you're talking about effects. But in general, obviously, we've kind of seen the, the kind of major impacts. We've kind of seen the Blue Planet 2 effect um, of kind of these, these large pieces of plastic kind of tangling up uh, seabirds being swallowed by whales. There's that awful scene in Blue Planet 2. And that is really that impact and that kind of um, those kind of shocking images really kind of kick-started um, kind of the public's awareness of, of plastic and of plastic pollution. Um, I think it's really important to, to remember that going forward and to think kind of how powerful kind of public outrage really can be and kind of public concern for these environments. Um, but it's also important to remember that the impacts of plastic aren't always seen um, and they're not always obvious. So when we're thinking about kind of marine litter, we might be thinking of kind of um, these big plastic kind of oceanic gyres that kind of all kind of sink on the um, or float on the surface. But there's also a lot of plastic kind of underneath in the water column on the seabed, which are also affecting kind of the, the, the different environments there. And of course, we've got microplastic as well, which can, um, which toxins can kind of hitch a ride onto microplastics and, and, and cause further problems down the line. So we're not even just talking about, um, we're not just talking about plastic pollution, we're talking about how these problems can really start to interlink um, 
and you know we here we've just kind of reviewed kind of the differences between plastic pollution and climate change and how those two things are connected and um, i'm not sure about the other panelists but quite often i get questions in terms of like what well, well you know who cares about plastic pollution when there's kind of the, this big issue of climate change kind of on the horizon but these issues are, are interlinked and kind of make each other worse and we kind of have to start solving that problem at source which is kind of the overconsumption of earth's finite resources those two problems have the same source yeah excellent excellent um by the way if if people want to be on mute uh, when they're not speaking it, it'll just help uh, for the sound quality uh, and then and jump off mute when when we go to you um susie uh, from your perspective uh down under can we say that yeah, absolutely. Look, my personal mantra is that we all live downstream and no matter what we do, it has an impact somewhere else along the line. So as Nia had mentioned, it's all interrelated. So uh, Nia mentioned the whales and two things that came to me immediately. One was the images of all the birds um, that can't fly now because of the plastics in their stomachs. And we've got an island off the coast of Australia called Lord Howe Island where there's a research centre. And every chick that's that, that dies, or there's so many birds just dead there, um, when they open them up, their their stomachs are full of plastic um so everything is related and people think oh okay it's just a bird that's dead but you don't realize that those birds migrate up to the northern hemisphere and they are the ones that plant the trees along the way so like their poop um their poop actually fertilizes the lands and creates the 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 trees on the island so that kind of sounds crazy, but everything is related. Um, and the other thing that came to me just from listening to Nia speak was um, the image a few days ago where they found that uh, frozen balloon or the balloon that from the movie Frozen down in the Marianas Trench. And just think, if we were to get, if we were to put a sub down there, how much energy that would take. And yet this plastic just permeates all these places that it shouldn't be. And... Um, you know, wow, one of the most remote places on the earth is has, you know, a, advertising for Disney. It's kind of sad. Um, it, it is all related. Um, sorry, I'll, I'll let the other panellists have their say, but we all live downstream. Every action has a reaction. Our convenience has become ever so inconvenient and we all just have to take stock of how we live our life and yes the little changes but we personally can make a lot of little changes and eight billion of us can make a lot of little changes but until those governments start changing policy taxing the producers really it's just going to keep going on and on because we're so used to it we're so used to plastic it's in our phones it's in our you know cosmetics it's you know i don't know i don't know how we're going to escape it well i do yeah. We, we, we talk about we can't solve the um, the carbon crisis unless we tackle the plastic pandemic. You know, ballpark figures, three kilos of carbon for one kilo of plastic. We have to turn the tap down. We have to close the tap off. It's, it's the only way forward. And, um, you know, the, the fact that the plastic stays in the environment for up to 600 years, all we're doing is we're creating more and more breaks down. We're breathing it in. We're, we're going to suffocate the planet unless we tackle this sorry that I'm, I'm the i'm the host but you, you you've started me um philip yeah i mean like already yeah susie mentioned like a lot of people don't know that we all are all the source of plastic i mean when we drive a car the right roof of the tire like in lake geneva i think it's over around 20 tons going into the lake geneva and like when you wash your laundry you produce microfibers and when you put up your makeup or if you use your toothpaste, you produce plastic. And I mean, we are talking about big chunks of plastic, but the small ones, the unseen ones, they're a big problem as well. And those people have no idea. Like they always say in Switzerland, yeah, you have to clean the oceans and it will be good. No, it's not good. Like we have to stop it at the source and we have to know where we have to find the plastic and stop the use. But they use cheap plastic because it's substitution to use plastic. It's a cheap way 
instead of use the real product, put in plastic, makes the product cheaper for them and sell it expensive. So we have to change this as well. But the people have to be aware of it. Sorry, Natalie. Thanks. Um, yeah, really interesting to hear um, what people have been sharing so far. I think um, uh, it's interesting to also understand sort of what happens to plastic when it does get into the ocean. So we we often um, look at a, a great report that was done by the UK environmental consultancy called Unomia. And it shows that out of the eight to 12 million tonnes of plastic getting into our oceans each year, around a million tonnes of that is microplastics. Um, the biggest source being car tyres, the second biggest source being pellets or nurdles, and the third biggest source being microfibers. So I think that's quite an interesting <clears throat> analysis and looking at that. Um, and, and then actually seeing that 94% of plastic that ends up in the ocean ends up on the seabed. So, you know, seeing these like visionary, but um perhaps slightly misguided ideas to clean the ocean when actually only one percent of plastic is on the surface of the ocean and the other five percent is on the beaches um i think strengthens the idea that community beach cleans are the best way to help clean the oceans because you know all the benefits that community beach clean brings but through storms and through tides the oceans will to a degree clean themselves and 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 blow the plastic or or, or lift the plastic up from the seabed and, and put it onto the beaches <clears throat> so actually um although city to sea focuses on the other end we don't engage in beach cleans it just sort of it, it, there is a, a very important place for that um and also with those beach cleans connecting people to their actions and how our actions affect the oceans i think is really important um from the plastics and climate perspective, I think that is something that we are, as a movement, starting to talk more about and understanding that as global demand for oil drops currently, um, because we're switching to renewables and we're switching to EVs, the petrochemical industry are absolutely looking to plastics as their saviour um, <clears throat> and investing billions in new infrastructure around the world, but particularly in the US. Um, and if that happens, that's predicted to uh, currently global oil use is about eight to nine percent or maybe a bit lower than that currently. But that's predicted to rise to 20 percent for the plastics petrochemical industry by 2050, anticipated to triple plastic pollution in the ocean. So, you know, whilst we are making headway in terms of tackling, you know, um, cotton buds and tackling straws and sort of little itty bitty things in some countries banning bags um susie's absolutely right in terms of in, until there is binding legislation that is actually uh, clamping down on this and also our exporting of plastics in the uk is is completely outrageous we're still exporting plastic to countries that don't have the facilities um to deal with plastics and then i think um my last point really is more from a sort of intersectional lens of, of just recognizing that plastic pollution isn't just about whales and albatross um you know it is people as well that are at either end of plastics sort of dirty life cycle in terms of those um fracking um sites and the, the plastics um factories right at the beginning generally it's marginalized communities often low-income black communities that are living right up against those factories and it's polluting their air it's polluting their water and then again right at the other end where our plastic is being exported to again it's often low-income marginalized communities who are ending up as our waste pickers and sorting through our waste so <clears throat> there is very much a human element to uh, plastic pollution as well um so yeah Sorry, Brendan. Caught, caught well, you I, I, coughing that time. That was me coughing then, and I thought <laughs> a, a quick glass of water <laughs> straight onto. Uh, so, so who do we think is responsible? Is it the individuals? Is it the companies? Is it the governments? You know, Susie, over to you. Everyone, we are all responsible for this. Um, yes, we can point the finger and say it's the producer, make it, take it back. But I still use a an iPhone, I still drive a car, um, 
my unless I'm Amish, my underwear is made from, you know, polyesters. Um, you know, I can make choices. We can all make choices, and they're good choices and they're small steps. But we have to start making bigger strides, really. Um, and and I'm not pointing the finger at anyone. You know, um, Natalie, you mentioned the beach cleans. They're they're a great way of engaging the community. I've been doing these for about 12 years now, every weekend bending over. I will be bending over forever. Um, and But it is one way to bring in people and, you know, share the education about what is the ocean is spewing out and how our actions on land are affecting what's happening in there. But, you know, we really have to go beyond that, I think. But, yes, I mean, I've got a beach clean next weekend and it's, it's almost like, oh, but it, it really is to engage, you know, to pull in new people and just to get them aware of how our actions are affecting our beautiful ocean. Sorry. Very interesting. Leo, construction perspective, who do you think is responsible in the, specifically in construction? Wow. That's a big question. Um, so I, I, I mean, I would come at it from a marketing perspective because that's a lot of my background is in marketing. So, um, and I believe that you know, driving the message now, driving the message of sustainability is one thing, but I think it's about behavior behavior change. So it's about awareness and changing that. So I would I would pitch that very much at obviously companies within the construction sector and how they position that basically. So manufacturers certainly, I think have a, have a role to play. I think governments have a role to play in terms of the standards that are, that are permitted in terms of materials, in terms of packaging on site and how that's done. It's interesting to listen to Susie's comment about the, 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 the downstream, that it affects us all. Because I think one of my clients previously had a wonderful little strap line, which was from roof to river. And they were very much involved in drainage, drainage products. So lots of PVC pipes and, and everything that comes from the roof of a building right down to underground and everything. And, and it's that. So I think we need to understand better what are the impacts of using those materials. Is that carried from the river to the oceans? And is it carried from the oceans into marine life? Is it carried then, which it clearly is, into us then as human beings? And what is the impact of that? And, and at the moment, I think there's a lot of um, there's a there's a lot of talk, but I think it's about change. And I'm very much for behavioural change. So coming back to the marketing side, I see marketing and marketeers have a big role to play in not just positioning this as sustainability but also behavioural change, that we do things differently. Yeah, interesting. I, I, I've got my idea of, of, I think, who's to blame in the construction sector, which I, I won't share it yet until Neil's had his say. Sorry, you caught me on the hop then. I was just going to send you a message, but never mind. Um, I was just going to say, I think Neil wanted to say something, do you, Neil? Or do you want me to carry uh, on? I'll, I'll go after you. You go first. <laughs> okay, thank you. All right. Uh, really interesting conversation, this. I mean, I, I love what Nia said before. Is We've seen the outrage of humans, you know, when they see this stuff and they come face to face to it. And then, you know, having a similar sort of theme coming through from Natalie about, um, you know, beach cleans and Susie about beach cleans. That's a relatively new phenomenon. You know, when I was, I'm 63 now, but when I was a child, I used to go to the beaches, rock pooling, and you get crabs and rocks and shells, and I'd come home and make my mum some jewellery boxes with shells that, you know, we collected. You didn't see plastic on a beach, and that's that's a sort of indictment of our use of plastic, and that's a sort of uh, terrible situation to be in. We, we've got to where we are because plastic has been such a great material. It's a wonder material. It does everything we want. It's cheap. It's flexible. Um, it lasts forever, and therein that, that's the problem. We didn't realise the the amount of uh, damage that it could potentially do. We're not 
I don't think we're about demonising plastic. We 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 have to turn it. We have to turn the tap down. We we can't just wave a wand overnight and reduce uh, to take plastic away from society because the COVID pandemic, you know, um, relied on plastic to, to 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 protect us against that through various methods, through drugs and needles and so forth and so on. But I'd be interested to hear from the panel what measures do you think could be taken? I think I'm also, uh, from a philosophical perspective, I'm with Susie on this, that we're all connected. We're all deeply, deeply connected in a different way than people. I know Philip is into this space as well, um, in a, at a much deeper level, in a much higher level. And I think if we realise that, then we do a lot more to help and share and work with each other rather than fight against each other. I believe that the change is needed to adjust our perception of success and not judging success of GDP, but judging success of the environmental, positive environmental impacts that we can have. I'd be interested to see what other people have got. Can I just come back to you? There was a, there was a reason why I was going down this route and yeah, why I asked well, the question specifically. So come back to the question asked, which was, who do you think is responsible for plastic in construction? And there's, there is a reason why I'm asking this question. OK, I'll, I'll, I'll answer that question. I think we all are. Um, I think, like Leo said, it's behavioural. Uh, there's a lot of behavioural things. Um, there's a lack of understanding um, by throughout the supply chain, through the whole supply chain, because we're all too busy making money. We're all too busy cost-cutting. We're all too busy trying to make the next book to try to do the better things. We're not really, and, and this is not, across the board this is generalizing i've met a few individuals and a few companies that are doing making great headway to change things but i think there's a big educational piece so the people that are responsible are the people that are um, the customers first and foremost they've got to put uh, they've got to put priority in terms of we've got to put cash in we know we're going to it's going to cost us a little bit more to start with but we know the the added environmental impacts and the planet benefits of that is the sensible thing to do. And they've got to see much longer sighted than the short-term financial gain. That's, no, absolutely. That, that, that's where I was, I was getting to, Neil, okay. because you know, in construction, we didn't have plastic as a choice 80, 90 years ago, oh. right? But we built fantastic buildings. Yep. So it's, it's, it's the building, that's the client who owns the building is responsible. And that leads me nicely on to Natalie and what Natalie's doing with refill is what you're doing is you're enabling the clients, the customers, the, the, the people who own the pound or the dollar, the Australian dollar, or in Switzerland, hold on, is it, is it, I, I should know this, is it a shilling in, in um, Switzerland? No, Swiss francs. <laughs> Swiss francs. Okay, I, I, I showed my ignorance there. So what Natalie's doing is is, is empowering the, the customer to make informed decisions, so they can reduce their consumption of plastic. And we have to do similar things in all sectors. One of the the the, the big uh, problems with waste uh, in in the oceans, and I'm, I'll, 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 I want to open up, up to the panel, is the fishermen. It's the fishermen who cast the the plastic nets over the over the boat, and it and it goes out and damages and and pollutes their own you know th their own industry, you know it's and that comes back to what uh, you were saying, Leo, about behaviour change. Nia, and just on that basis of, of fishermen, with your research, how big a problem do you think that is, or or is it a problem? I'm assuming it is. I um I would start off to say I think um the kind of fishing industry um, and, and specifically the, the, the people who fish um, are very good advocates actually for the ocean and, and, and the sustainable use of these resources um, because it's it's their livelihood. They, they, it has to keep going for, for, for them to keep going. Um, so kind of most individuals that I've talked to care very much about reducing plastic and, and, how, and how they can reduce it. But um, the problem is, like we've kind of alluded to, it's it, it's it's the availability of kind of those of those resources, you know, kind of in terms of money and kind of profit for the companies. The the kind of plastic ropes are 
the, the only ones that are currently available that will last long enough for it to be vi a, a viable kind of business choice. Um, and so kind of fishing gear is a large percentage. Again, I'm being an annoying researcher, scientist type here. I'm going to say it depends, <laughs> um, but it kind of does depend on whether you're talking about kind of number of number of um pieces of plastic or the weight of plastic because fishing gear is normally very heavy so if you're talking about kind of the mass in the ocean of the great pacific garbage patch for example the majority of the mass is fishing gear but the majority of pieces is microplastic um so you kind of start it starts to get very complicated because, because no issue is black and white here but kind of the the blame game is is an interesting one because i think it as as all the panel have said kind of it does come from both ends I think I think we need to kind of squeeze the people in the middle to kind of start making start making action kind of the customer needs to needs to vote with their with their cash with their money when possible um, but we kind of do have to remember that if people for example uh, want to feed their family the, the thing they're going to think about is if there's peppers in plastic and there's peppers in not plastic and the peppers in plastic are cheaper <laughs> um quite often that that choice will win out unfortunately um and so we're going to have to have to make those choices a little bit easier but then also kind of at the, i'm on anglesey in wales at the moment um, and i can see Bangor from my window which is the kind of county next door across but i know that the plastic that can go in the recycling bin for example in Bangor is different to the plastic that can go in the recycling bin in Anglesey. So what hope do businesses and construction businesses as well have if they, if it's, if this system is so complicated and recycling is, is definitely not the option is, 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 is not the answer here. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that if there was a kind of a, a, a controlled and um, a, a, a regular system where you could say to businesses, this is the material that we can recycle and reuse well in this country. And the kind of logistics are in place for kind of resale centers and um, kind of bringing your own containers to different supermarkets, then people would do that because it would be easy and it would be cheap. And those are kind of the two questions I think that needs to, needs to really motivate kind of innovation within kind of this space is, is making it as easy and cheap as possible as buying a bag of peppers kind of wrapped in plastic or buying PVC piping kind of for your construction project. No, I, th I think you're absolutely right, Nia. Uh, and, and the key thread there is was price. And again, if we go to construction, Neil, you said price. And, um, you know, what we plastic is cheap. And why is it cheap? Is it because we're not actually calculating the full cost of the lifetime? cost of, of, of the plastic and if you if you calculated that over the 600 years and what we have to do to actually dispose of it it's the most expensive product on the planet i would have i would have said um so and so again with leo it's education and change and thinking um natalie what what's your perspective on this um i've slightly lost the thread of what the original question was <laughs> I think the original who's responsible, basically. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, I mean, and, and, and so, and that's why we moved into the thank different. You, thank you. Yeah. I, I absolutely think the government and retailers are responsible. I don't think it should be on the burden of individuals to make those choices because you have to be very informed, and not everybody has got the time, the inclination, um, the energy uh, to, to be that well informed. I mean, it's literally like, everything that we buy has an environmental a health um, uh, impact on us and and actually it should be the duty of care of retailers and our government to protect us from those things and to do what is right um, so absolutely like binding legislation bottle um, deposit return schemes um, so yeah I very much I feel very strongly that the government and retailers should be responsible but as they're not taking responsibility um that's where those grassroots movements and that um the power of of individual voices and voices of campaigners uh comes in and we we as you mentioned through the refill campaign as well as giving people ways they can 
access sort of eat drink and shop with less plastic what we also do is we we build um partnerships and relationships to increase infrastructure so that actually more people can access refill and make it more affordable for all and i think those kind of once then that government and retail see that there's demand for it and see that there's a trend then that drives investment and and policy but it, sadly it should be the other way around philip from switzerland's perspective switzerland's um, I have a clear option and it's the producer's responsibility because if you produce a product, you have a liability, you are responsible for your product. And I mean, plastic, it's really good material and we got addicted to it. But on the end, we don't pay the full price. We just pay for the plastic, but the damage, we don't pay for it. And I was like, when you buy organic stuff in Switzerland, fruit or vegetables, it's wrapped in plastic. I mean, come on, give me a break. <laughs> I buy organic to avoid unnecessary stuff. And yeah, and also, I mean, it's quite complicated. I mean, we as users and users, we are responsible as well. But first of all, why we don't have a choice? I mean, sometimes you are forced. And also plastic recycling, there isn't really plastic recycling. Like you steal, you can use it, use it, use it, use it again. Plastic, you use it a few times, it's gone. You can't use it again. So it's not really, and I, I don't think it was ever intended to be recycled. I mean, you have these seven types of plastic and they all have the recycling sign, but you can't recycle them. And then you have thousands of different types of plastic as well. It's just too complicated. I so think it was never intended to be circular economy in plastic. Yeah. I'd like to spend the last part of the, um, of the conversation around the solutions. So we're all agreed there's the problem. How, how, do we accelerate the change um, to a reduced plastic world, reduce CO2 by definition? Um, how, how do we do that? And uh, uh, is it governments only? Is it the producers? And we'll start off with Susie. Okay, is it governments only? Um, hmm. I think all of us have a role to play. Um, as an individual, I have a voice, I have to use it. My eyes see the plastic pollution, not only in my own country, but when we were, when I was working for the airlines, for example, I'd go swimming in the Easter Islands, I would come out of the water, my body was covered in confetti of hard, small microplastics. Um, I think if we tax the producers to make it more expensive so that um, when we go to the shop, the pickles in the plastic aren't the cheaper option, that's one way. Not everyone can afford it. Then comes in the argument, people saying poorer nations can only afford to buy small sachets and they come in plastic. I just think we have to rethink everything. Um, Sorry, that's just such a loaded question, Brendan. Um, we're all responsible. Hey, I've got a good solution. Influencers, those people that have millions of followers, um, the people that are now relying on social media, the younger generations, maybe they should also be spruiking this message. I know being in marine conservation at the moment is very sexy. It's very on point. It's very fashionable, but it's actually our future. We, you know, the ocean gives us the breath we breathe. So, you know, how um, Nia was saying that all the um, tiny plastic particles sink to the seabed. Well, isn't it the, I mean, I'm not the scientist here, but the, you know, um, the zooxanthellae that create, you know, they get eaten by the krill, the whales eat the krill, the poop, blah, blah, blah. Um, what I'm saying is, if we, if we don't start making changes soon, as you said, we are going to choke, we're going to suffocate. So um, we can't just let this keep accumulating. Sorry, that was a little bit muffled, but... No, 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 that's fine, it's fine. <laughs> um, speaking of younger generations, Nia. Yeah, so what the solutions? Um, 
I, I don't think there's going to be a silver bullet that fixes everything. Um, I think we need to be careful about um, kind of replacing plastic with another product um, that will cause a different but similar scale um, problem down the line. Um, I think quite a few of us today has talked about kind of the scale, the, the time scale in which this has happened and this is kind of within one lifetime and that scale of change is very interesting you know kind of in the 50s and 60s plastic were, were presented as kind of a, a miracle product and it was going to save the forest from deforestation um, and kind of but it was presented as a material and as a product that was going to last and it was cheap and light and it did and it democratized a lot of um kind of a, a lot of fields travel kind of medicine kind of allowed us all to kind of access that a lot easier but it's kind of the way it's being used now it's being used incorrectly because it's so cheap and because it's so light um and i think kind of we're we're in an interesting transition period now where we're potentially straying into this kind of greenwashing um kind of is related to what you were saying to you about kind of influences and online marketing and all that kind of thing where where every company with kind of a new product says it's sustainable but that the, the word sustainable isn't protected <laughs> like you can i could call anything sustainable yeah. um and kind of people kind of buy into that and, and it makes our profit but really we're not really asking the proper questions is what we need um, and yeah, I would I would kind of caution people when they see things like bioplastic or degradable plastic or oxo-degradable plastic. All of these things have specific meanings, but aren't particularly protected. So if you see kind of a biodegradable wet wipe, for example, that doesn't mean if you chuck it in the ocean, it's going to disappear instantly. It's still going to stay around for a long time. Um, so I think kind of where we're in the stage at the moment of seeing a lot of solutions. Um, and, and innovation is really important and kind of we need to brainstorm all of these solutions but kind of like Natalie mentioned earlier kind of these big kind of ocean cleanup kind of surface things might eventually do more harm than good so I think kind of the solution has to come earlier on in the in the life cycle um, rather than kind of wait until it gets into the ocean and then clean it up. Yeah, no, you hit on one of the things uh, as you discussed that, which is very clear in, in, in what we're doing with the research centre, is that we have to ensure that whatever we do replace it with doesn't cause another problem, which is bigger than the problem we're trying to solve. Uh, and, that, and that, that's very clear in, in, in how we um, how we do the research. Um, Philip. Yeah, um, in my opinion, we are all asked for quick, fast moves. Like, first of all, we have to stop to use unnecessary plastic. In some places you need plastic, like medicine stuff and stuff like this. There is no solution. But otherwise, like all of us can do their share as well. Like when you buy stuff, avoid plastic. And if there is no market for plastic, it won't be sold. And we need international legislation as well to stop, to change the whole system worldwide. So I think we have to all work together. and. Yeah, it's up to us as well. Yeah, the, the, the comment I would probably add to this is um, I think we actually need to use what we've actually produced for the longest time we possibly can instead of continually uh, buying more and more stuff for, which we don't need and, and consuming it. You know, we're in the middle of this week, which is my most annoying week this week because it is Black Friday. You know, we're buying stuff for people. We're buying stuff cheaply, cheaply, for presents for people we don't really like, um, and it, it's just a complete waste of a resource. You know, I th I think my own view is the amount of uh, material which we we already all own. Let's utilize what we've got, and if we don't want to use it, give it to people who could who can actually use it in the community. That's one of the biggest things we can do is, is, is stop bringing more and more stuff into the ecosystem, um, which, why, which is why I love what uh, Natalie's doing with the uh, with the refill. OK, so uh, I'm going to ask another question, in, and this is um, around recycling. Um, we all live in different areas, different countries uh, and different parts of the world and different regions. The, the biggest challenge I can see for the recycling sector, because we, whether we like it or not, we've got to deal with what how we already um how would you already work 
is the different rules, regulations, standards across different jurisdictions in the recycling sector. So I just want to ask, how do we solve that problem? I'll start with Natalie. Yeah, so I'm happy to unmute then. I think um, actually the unification of the recycling system and someone else in the UK, correct me if I'm wrong, is actually being covered in the um, in the Environment Bill. <clears throat> um, and so I believe that is already a, a, a big project which is underway within the UK, certainly. Um, which is going to be a great sort of a great relief. But as ever, these things tend to take a long time. Um, but I think unlike deposit return schemes, I think this will go through faster um, than actually than. Um, sorry, I was just wondering what Susie was tickling then off to the side of her street. We've got a new <laughs> it is a big dog. It's a big black dog. Oh, gorgeous. Um, so, yeah, I think sort of I think. I could try and find the um, the information that, to back that up, but I'm pretty sure that is happening, which is good. Leo. Well, I think I just, I mean, for me, I think, yeah, I think the uniformity of, of, of recycling is one thing, but I think it comes back to sort of what you said, I think in terms of actually whether we just, constantly consume whether we constantly buy new whether we constantly build new or whether we can actually sort of do things differently so for me it's that thing about obviously back to behavior change back to education so you know i, I see the the wider thing about the sort of joined up approach i mean just one little short story is that years ago um when I, one of our sons was in canada doing a one year out of his degree and we went over for a, a, a visit at the end of that year. And we, in Calgary, they actually had a, a sort of um, basically big gathering and there were indigenous people there. And we spoke with one of the indigenous chiefs. And what he said to me stuck with me as well, because he said that, you know, growing up in their, their culture, they were taught to respect everything in the earth to look after it, to use it, and everything was used. And yet he says his, his daughter grows up now with an iPad and all the other things there. And again, it's constantly renew, replace and change. So I think for me, that education thing has to come in terms of actually sort of think, you know, not only with climate change, but also with, with the materials that we use, with how we build, how we construct our houses and homes, how we live our lives, I think that, that the whole thing. No, you're absolutely right, uh, Leo. I mean, again, one of the things I never ceases to amaze me, the average car lies idle for 23 and a half hours a day. You know, when we're talking about resource efficiency, we are just not even touching the surface about resource efficiency. And that's, I think that's what it's all going to come down to, is making sure that when we do um, use a resource, that we maximise its benefit. For, for, for everyone you know i think and, and again i think it's down to uh, the the youngsters coming through you know the, the future near um what what do they call it generation rent you know where do, do people really need to own their own house you know is there is there a more flexible way of of, of the way we live uh, which is going to help to reduce the, the amount of resources we consume and what are those new business models in that area because there will be uh, economic benefits for, for doing things differently. So I'm going to go around. We've got one question uh, from Kate. Uh, I'm not sure whether it is a question, Neil. You, you, you've sent me a note um, on it around um, eco-synthesis gas, um, DMG distributed modular gasification process, which can convert high calorific value waste material, such as tires and plastic into clean eco-synthesis easy for me to say gas then fuel grade hydrogen okay that, that's an interesting one uh, in terms of how the, the the battle between hydrogen and um, batteries in cars um has anyone got anything to say about that one because i think you can all read the the, the message kate sent yeah i um i don't know much about 
this at all I'm definitely not an expert on kind of hydrogen cars and, and, and fuel as waste and that kind of thing but I would again err on the side of caution like in terms of dealing with the waste that we've got now um these kind of solutions are really interesting and, and, and definitely should move forward but erring on the side of caution in terms of um relying on something like plastic waste as a fuel source for example because like Natalie said the kind of the, the environmental um, impacts of plastic don't just happen kind of at the end of life in the ocean it kind of happens at the start as well kind of kind of in, in in these plastic plants kind of there's a documentary the story of plastic which is really great and kind of covers that I'd recommend watching it um, and yeah so kind of we're dealing with this whole thing so and, and, and we're still working on that kind of linear system of creating plastic and then burning it for waste at the end if I've understood the mess properly I read it very quickly <laughs> um, but yeah kind of we need to move towards this more kind of circular system um, where we can like we we're talking about reuse and and kind of refill and, and all that kind of thing so although I think that those things are great at the moment um, I think eventually the solutions will be more circular in nature right i'm going to wave my magic wand now and we're going to transport 10 years into the future to 2031 and i want each of you to describe what the environment looks like and where we are and i'm going to i'm not going to put neil on the spot i'm going to put uh philip on the spot first everyone else has got a chance to think about it first <laughs> Wow, what a tough question. <laughs> I hope so, that we have found a solution to reduce the plastic and the impact of plastic and that we get the plastic out of the system somehow. But at the moment, I wouldn't have really big clue what to do with this micro nanoplastic. Yeah, but I, I would like to see birds without plastic in their tummy, animals in the oceans not full with plastic. This would be a big wish. Natalie. Thanks. Um, I'll focus in on the on the our kind of experience of going into supermarkets where we see our groceries, our fresh groceries, loose and local. Um, and we take our empties back into the store with us. We pick up a pre-fill, we scan it on our app. Um, and I think that whole way of, of shopping, we will very much see that by in within 10 years time, the, um, the massive reduction in the amount of single use plastics in our supermarkets. I think that's the bit I'll major on. Yeah, and that's just adding into that one, Natalie, you know, in 10 years time with the um, advancements in AI, actually the supermarket should know what you're going to come in for and have it prepared for you with your reusable yeah. Anyway, um, Susie. My future is about regeneration, as in regenerating the earth, refusing the stuff we don't need, reducing our com consumption, because we can't recycle our way out of this mess. So regenerate and refuse. Regenerate and refuse. I like that one. Now we're going to come to Neil. I was just going to say the same thing, Susie. <laughs> um, just repeat the question, Brendan. So we, we, I've waved my magic wand. We're now 10 years ahead. It's 2031. What does the world look like to you? I wish or what I think the reality will be. Well, give me, give me both. <laughs> uh, my wish would be that we are... We have finally found a way, not just in the UK, as Natalie quite rightly pointed out, of unifying recycling and making that work properly, but unifying recycling around the world. And we've, we've found a way that we can build property because the amount of property that we need is going to double in the next 10 years, the amount of people that are increasing on this planet. So the property that we build will be almost like Lego, uh, deconstructing, able to deconstruct and able to reconstruct in a simple way. So you're perpetuating the life and the using it and you're taking full advantage of the life cycle 
of a product right the way through. The reality is a little bit different because I think we're still being driven by finance and it's all very well people at COP, the higher level influencers and politicians and players of this world talking about we're going to change this and we're signing up to that. I'm not saying it was bad. We achieved a lot at COP. But those last minute changes were disappointing around coal. Um, and there's still a lot of companies that haven't really bought into the to the desires and the aims and ambitions of the carbon reduction program. So unless we bring plastic into that equation, you're not, I don't, I don't think you're going to hit those goals in reality. That's my take. Thank you. Leo. I, I guess for me, it's, I mean, it's a massive hope. And I think the hope is that we, we see big behavioral changes in people's respect for nature and for each other. I mean, Philip, you mentioned you are a human being. And I think it's that for me, it's that human nature in terms of, uh, not human nature, but that human aspect of actually sort of treating everything with respect. And that comes down to how we uh, inform our choices. So I, and I, I, you know, my hope is that through education, through influencers, through organizations that step up to the mark and we see maybe more of that now that there are enough that are actually doing positive things rather than the greenwashing side that makes the change that we need basically going forward dr nia because we're now 10 years ahead oh in fact sorry professor nia uh, well, I hope it will be doctor. I can't say for sure. <laughs> It'll definitely not be professor. Um, but uh, yes, okay. So coming at it from an academic, scientific perspective, I know one thing for sure, and it will we we will know a hell of a lot more than we do now. So that is a positive to take away, <laughs> in that we will have done more research, more innovation, kind of more engineering around this problem. At the moment, the field of, of marine litter and microplastic and plastic pollution is only about 20 years old. Um, and we're kind of borrowing methods and kind of thought processes from other fields to kind of try and understand it more. So we'll kind of know more about our baselines, kind of how much plastic is in different environments, how much plastic is in the seabed, why is it there, where does it move? And that will, that will go a long way to help us understand how to kind of move forward from that. Um, I also think we'll kind of, in terms of, uh, someone mentioned um, tech in the, in the chat, I think Kate, mentioned kind of technological solutions um, and we'll have a lot more of those at the moment there's kind of kind of drones kind of satellites um, to kind of identify these areas of large accumulations of plastic and that will help clean, clean us up that's already happening um, and kind of think that 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 will only increase but but from a personal perspective I, I agree with the whole panel in terms of I think we'll I think we will head to towards a a much more reusable society um I, I i can't speak on behalf i can't speak globally of course but especially in the uk and the people that i know and kind of my peers a lot of us now are kind of renting outfits instead of buying new ones kind of um whether it's kind of renting dresses for weddings or wedding dresses even i know carrie simmons boris johnson's wife did that it was in the news kind of all these things have become a lot trendier now and and, and, and refills and and i hope that becomes more accessible to everyone because um, at the moment i think there's a premium on that it's a premium um cost and i and i hope that becomes becomes just kind of a, a regular thing in 10 years that's absolutely fantastic and what my, my vision uh, 10 years is that we will have uh, created through material innovation alternatives to plastic which are more sustainable and add value to the earth and, and to all of us rather than taking the value from us that would be my perspective and I, i'd also like to think that in 10 years time we will have enlightened politicians who are driving the change in their governments because it's the government's structures and systems which are the hardest to change and I think if we get principled, principled politicians to help to drive that change, and I hope that within 10 years we, we have that, because they'll see that they're going to get their reward, which is the vote in the ballot box, by winning it. 
On that note, it's now two o'clock. I'd like to thank each and every one of you uh, for attending today. Uh, does anyone want any last final comments before we close the In Conversation with Changing Streams 4? No? Just a, just a quick one, just a, a huge thank you to everybody who's on the panel to, to join us and again for the, for the session. Susie, particularly in terms of the time difference, really appreciated. Natalie, obviously with, with your voice, uh, really appreciate obviously you taking part and, and Nia as well and also Philip. It's been really fantastic and uh, thank you for that as well. Thank you. Our next, our next, our next webinar won't be till January. Uh, and that focuses on um, the use of plastic within the workplace. So it's it's again creating a, uh, a plastic friendly or plastic free environment within the workplace. So that'll be an interesting one too. Brilliant. Thank you very very much. Thank thanks you. for having us. Thanks, thanks everyone. And thanks for hosting, Brendan. And thank you for Sarah for keeping us all in line.